Well, come on, church. Can you help me greet everybody joining online and everybody at all of our locations? Come on, Cortland, Corning, Binghamton. I love you guys. So glad to be able to be with you. I want to say happy Valentine's Day to everybody. Come on, somebody needs to turn to your neighbor. Tell them, man, you look good to be in church today. Now, if you didn't already know that person, you're not married to them, who knows what could happen today, right? This could, this could be your day. We'll see. Well, I'm so glad to have you. My name is Will. I'm the lead pastor here. We are in a series entitled, What is Love? What is Love? This series is really uh, based on this research that we've been doing. And one of the number one most questioned, like Google gets all these questions that come through. And if you ask Google, what's one of the number one spiritual questions that people have They ask, what is love? So here we are, last week, Pastor Andrew talked about the question of how do you love somebody who's an addict? Or another way of saying that is how do you love somebody who is difficult or selfish? And and we just found some great information for that. And if if you want, you can go back and watch that on YouTube. Go to the Two Rivers channel. It's going to be a good one. And then next week, uh, B.J. Richardson is my cousin. He's missionary to Turkey. We're going to be celebrating our eight-year anniversary. Come on, church. One, let's put it up, put it together for that. That's going to be good. He's going to be preaching about that same topic. And so uh, I'm excited about what all this is. But Pastor Andrew last week introduced our theme scripture. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the love chapter. Paul starts to describe maybe the fine print around what love is. Sometimes when you have a contract, anybody have the the moment where uh, you have to sign up for an app or a social media service and they give you like 12 pages of contractual obligations and then how many of you actually read, like, I don't, I've never read all the way down through. I've scrolled down through just so I could hit the checkbox to say I read it. In some ways, I wonder if we do that in our lives as Christians. We say, well, I know what love is. And maybe we haven't read the actual fine print in the details. So Paul puts it together for us in the fine print. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, he says, love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never, what's it say? Love never fails. So, Here's this question, what is love? That's what the whole series is about. And there's a New Testament word, in fact, the Greek has three different words for what love is. In English, we just have this one word, love. But in the Greek, they broke it down into three separate phrases for the word love. And we're gonna talk next week about agape love, but today on Valentine's Day, We're going to talk about these two other words, the word eros. This is where we get the word erotic from. Come on. I heard an amen. (laughs) 
And then, and then we get this other word, phileo, and that's the brotherly love. We probably heard of that from Philadelphia. And, I, and my wife told me not to say this, but if you mix up brotherly love and that arrows together, you're doing it wrong. So, so you put that together, give it some time. So today we're going to talk about, but these two words really have to talk about our relationships. So, so today we're going to be talking about our relationships as defined by what does love look like in our relationships. So if you have a date already for Valentine's Day, or you're looking to get a date, or you're looking to be dating, or if you're married, or divorced, wherever you're at in your relationship status, I want you to lean in for this message. And and so to start out Valentine's Day, I have a few quotes about doing relationships and finding love in today's culture. So Benjamin Sledge says this, online dating is the worst. Each time I ask friends ranging in their early 20s to their 40s how the temperature in the dating pool is, I'm met with borderline hostility. For all the talk of ease that a dating app allows for a potential date, the impression that I'm left with is everyone is swimming in a pool they all took a dump in. Instead of shocking the water and getting out, everyone decided they needed to keep swimming in the sewage, perhaps even adding to it, because that pool is where people swim. Shaney Silver says this. I saw a meme once that reads, it used to be how long do we date before we have sex? Now it's how long do we have sex before we start to date? Aiden Avery says, we don't communicate our feelings to one another, but instead play this guessing game with no intention of being with that person because it means that you care in your week. And then Rebecca Holman says, I'm definitely as much to blame as any of the men I meet. I'm unwilling to make the space in my life for relationship needs in order to thrive. Maybe this will change when I meet the right man. Anybody have any of those feelings about datings and relationships and what that's all like? My wife and I talk about, there's no way we'll ever get divorced because we never want to go back into the dating pool. Like, we're just going to put up with each other. We're going to figure it out. Whatever we got to do because dating is that bad. In fact, we tell people when we get together, we do a marriage uh, group. And, and so we do a marriage small group. And when you come to our group, we tell you like, oh man, you just, we, we'll tell you all the wrong ways to date. We did it all the wrong ways. If you do anything of what we did while we were dating, you're doing it wrong. And so we just, we want nothing to do with the dating pool. So, so what it is, is that dating is complicated. And can anyone agree that dating is complicated? Can I get an Amen. Somebody just elbowed somebody. Like, that's what's wrong. And, and so here's our challenge. Our challenge is when you take anything that's designed for an adult and hand it to a child, it appears to that child to be complicated. And as long as our culture approaches romance, 
sex and relationships like a child, it's going to be complicated. Now, if anybody's offended, just hang with me here for a second because let me show you what children are. We know what children are like. Anybody have any children? Anybody been a child before? Here's what it is to be a child. Impatient, self-seeking, self-centered, selfish, easily distracted, ill-mannered, easily angered, rude. We know, we know what that's about. As parents, these are all the things that are testing you day in and day out. How did I produce this child? Where did this child come from? It must be my spouse's fault. It was never my fault. Certainly, I see none of those qualities that I am in my child. So here's the issue that we face. We face that relationships are complicated. Dating is complicated. And to add into that complication, we have these myths that are kind of promoted by our culture. And, and these myths make it hard for us to become good lovers. So number one, this is myth number one. You can just write this down in your notes. Myth number one is the right person myth. And the myth goes something like this. Once you meet the, what is it, the right person, then everything's going to be all right. And, and so basically it's the idea that when you meet, like right now you can be messed up, but when you meet that special someone, you're going to be right. You're going to get your life all fixed up. Everything's going to be wonderful. Magically, you went from being a three to being a ten. And all because you just met the right person. And what happens, we grow up fantasizing about meeting the right person. And we spend very little time thinking about becoming the right person. And so the, the problem with that is this. I want a person that has all of these qualities and attributes. And the question you have to ask is, does the person that you're looking for, is the person that you're looking for looking for you? Like, are you the type of person that the person you're looking for is looking for? And so then number two, the myth number two is the promise myth. It's the promise myth. It's the idea that a promise replaces the need for preparation. So, so it's this idea that I don't need to prepare for marriage. I don't need to get ready for marriage because unlike any other area of life, when it comes to relationships, you don't need to prepare. All you need is a promise I'm going to get that ring, and then we're going to have a party, and our marriage is going to be good. And, and so here's what happens. We go into relationships, we go into marriage, thinking because I said a vow that I'm capable of keeping that vow. See, I, saying I do makes you accountable, but not necessarily capable 
I'm going to say that again because just in case anybody missed it. Saying I do makes you accountable, but not necessarily capable. So I'm going to let you fill in the blank because when we start thinking about that, when you're accountable, but not capable, eventually you're going to be what? Miserable. I like that. Somebody said divorced. That's probably true. This is why, this is why some of y'all signed up for classes in college that you dropped out of later on because you thought since I took the class, I didn't need to prepare for it. I'll just show up. I'm ready for advanced calculus. And you didn't do pre-calc. You didn't even do like basic algebra. I can't even say that word. I am certainly not ready. Because here's the principle, right? You have to prepare in order to be ready. And so somehow we've got it in our mind that if I just meet the right person, then everything will be right. And then if I just say the right thing, I'm just going to make this promise and then I'll, I'll be able to do it. And so we believe these myths, we believe these lies about relationships And then we enter into relationships having not done the requisite work that's required in order to be successful in our relationships. Does anybody here know what I'm talking about? Some of us are in the middle of, oh my goodness, I see it now. I I wish I'd have heard this talk about 20 years ago. And this is one of those ones where you, I just think everybody's going to benefit because what I think we need to do now, no matter what, who you are, no matter what relationship you're in, if you're not in a relationship at all, but you want to be in one, maybe you're in a relationship and you did, I, I, I did the promise, I, I have the promise, but I wasn't already prepared for the relationship that I've stepped into, all of that. I want to help us learn now how to navigate those relationships because I want us to discover how you can be a better lover. Now, when I say the word lover, I wonder like, oh man, what is that? What is a pastor talking about being a better lover on Valentine's Day? So here it is. Number one, how to be a better lover. You can just fill this in. Number one, be a man. Holy smokes, half the room just checked out. What is he talking about? So, so for a couple minutes, I do want to talk to the men. And, and ladies, you can listen along. And you might thank me in a couple moments. Because when I say be a man, I think there's a bunch of alarm bells that go off. Like what in the world is he talking about? Be a man. Is he being sexist? Because we have this cultural imagery of when somebody says be a man, it's sort of like the jocks in the locker room. Yeah, be a man. Or maybe we have this image of the womanizer. Or maybe it's the image of Homer Simpson, some incompetent boob that just can't get anything done. There's a, a dad in every sitcom for the last 30 years. We haven't had one image of a competent male in our, in our media universe 
where the man is characterized as competent. What we've seen is around us imagery of a man being incompetent, being a bumbling buffoon, being somebody who's a philanderer or a cheat. And so the question is, when I say be a man, what is a man? What does it look like to be a man? And Paul, you think the pastor's crazy, he's lost his mind. I've never heard anybody try to preach be a man, but this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. See, remember what, what, what it is to be a child because what Paul is saying here, you have to grow up into love. He's gone through and he's given us the fine print of what it is. Here's all the details of what love is. But then Paul says, if you want to be a good lover, be a man. Like grow up into this thing. You got to step up into it. Because we know what children are like. Remember we said they're impatient, self-seeking, self-centered, selfish, easily distracted, ill-mannered, easily angered. And rude. But all the list of the things that Paul says is love are the opposite. Here's what Paul says a man is. You want an image of what the Bible says a man should be? Is this. Um, Paul says a man is patient. A man is kind. He's not jealous. He's not arrogant. He's honoring. He's selfless. He's not easily angered. He's not a scorekeeper. He's protecting. He's trusting. He's hopeful. And he's persevering. So men, be a man. So take some advice from Paul in how to be a better lover. Be a man. Grow up in this. Now, Nothing on that list is going to happen by accident. you got to start working at it right now. You're not going to just meet the right woman and be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be all of a sudden, now I'm not going to be easily angered. you got to grow up into that. All the ladies are laughing. Why are y'all laughing? It's, this is, uh, the, but here's what's going to happen. When we go back to this list, Paul says a man is patient, kind, not jealous, not arrogant, honoring, and selfless. How many ladies would love to see? I mean, if, you, if your man was this, who would be like, that's an irresistible man? Like that, I would, that's, I'm going to be with that man. You want to be a better lover, you be a man. The way it's described in the word of God. You're welcome, ladies. Because what's going on here is, I want us to look at that list of what a man is according to scripture and give yourself a grade. Where would you say you are, man? Would you say I give myself a C, a D, a B minus? Maybe look at that list and just say I'll never be any of those things. And, and what I, what's interesting to me about this list is as you look at that list, 
and you think about the woman that you want to be with, don't you want to keep all of those things on the list? I mean, which of those would you throw out? I would take the woman who's easily angered. No, thank you. Right? I'll, I'll skip that part. I take the woman that's jealous. She's always nitpicking me when I talk to anybody. I want a woman who's arrogant. You're not, I mean, you're not going to go down this list and be like, wow, I want to throw all, I'll just throw all those out. So, so in my mind, I'm going to keep all those things on the list for my spouse. But if I look at that list now as a child, I would say, well, I don't, I'll never be able to do all of that. So I'm not going to try. That's how a child would approach that list. But as a man, I expect, I would love to see my spouse be all of those things. And therefore, I can't take myself off the hook for any of them. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, look, there was a time when you were a child, you acted like a child, you did all those things. But now, guess what? It's time to be a man. And so, so there's nothing there that we can't do. And, and we, if we expect all of them, then we need to become all of them. And so, so now, really, as we look at that list, we know what we're hoping for, what we're trying to become. Get busy preparing now to be the type of person that you're looking for. So if you're uh, in junior high, maybe you're in high school, and you're, you're like, here's how this looks. You honor your mother. But it's just mom. It's just mom. You know what will happen? Someday it'll just be your wife. Oh, that's just my wife. I don't need to open the door for her. Oh, that's just my wife. I don't need to help clean up the house. She won't mind if I throw my stuff all around. It's just my wife. So you learn today how to honor your mother. You learn today how to take care of the people that are around. It's just my little brother. It's no big deal. Because what you do now is what's shaping you and developing you so that you can grow up into love. And this is number two now. How do you become a better lover? Number two, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna narrow in on one of Paul's fine print details. And so number two says this, be other seeking. Be other seeking. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse five, it does, love does not dishonor others. It is not what? It is not, everybody together, it is not self-seeking. Now, if you look at your relationships, if you have conflict in your relationships somewhere, 99% of the conflict that you are experiencing is because there are two people that for some reason are self-seeking. So here's, here's another way of saying this, love is not selfish. At the root of that disagreement, that friction, there's probably some version of selfishness that is causing 
Because, you know, what would happen is if I was other-seeking, this disagreement would get solved pretty quick. Like what, where the conflict is in our relationships, if there's two people in the relationship that are other-seeking, we're going to have a lot of peace. We're going to have a lot of things getting worked out. Now, if you got in your relationship one person self-seeking, one person's other-seeking, it's going to be trouble. So, so this one thing, be other-seeking, if I'm going to be a good lover... I'm going to be seeking the needs of the other. So it's going to change your relationship life. It'll change how you do conflict. It'll change all of that. It's also going to change your sex life. You, like here, you want to be a better lover. This is what it is. We, in our culture, we don't have a good picture of what it is to be a man. And we don't have a good picture of what sex looks like. And so how God created sex, if you want to have great sex, stop being selfish. You're there to satisfy the other person. Can I get a good amen? That's how this thing works. Now, everybody is, now here's, like, here's what it looks like. You go into your, your sex relationship and you think what you're going to do is, I'm here to get mines. Because you grew up watching porn, you thought that's what it was all about. It's not about that. God, God is a giver. God is a giver. And, and so, like, people are trying to figure out, how did God make sex? I've never thought of God and sex, and how could any of those things be compatible and what God did, God invented sex, y'all. I don't know if you knew this. The devil didn't invent it. The devil screwed it up. Because, because if you do sex this way, you have the best, best sex of your life. You do it selfishly. You're taking, you're taking, you're taking instead of giving, giving, giving. And God's design, God is a giver. And love is expressed in giving. I'm not selfish. I'm other oriented. And so the, the imagery is that we would give ourselves as a good gift to the other. So today when you run out of church and you go to Walmart to get your flowers real quick, you're going to try to give a gift. And, and, and we call that romance. Right? That's romance. Oh, he, he was thinking of me. He did something nice for me. There was, like, that's, like, he did something, right? And that was a giving of himself. Whatever that is, there's a giving piece, and that's responded to in love. There's a, wow, okay, something good is happening. And what's happening is as we're doing that, we're becoming less selfish, and we're becoming more like God. Because God has imprinted on all of our hearts that we would be worshiping him and giving ourselves to each other in that way. So give yourself as a good gift to your spouse. This is God's picture. That's God's way of us coming together. And this is part of why this whole idea of being other-oriented is why we date. 
Because when you're dating, what you need to be doing, if you're not already married, you're checking to see, is this other person going to be other-oriented toward me? That's what we're checking on. We're going to see, are they, are they honoring me? Are they putting me first? Are they, are they doing the things that are required to be showing that they have capacity to give love? You got to test them to see if they're going to give back. Because if you give and you give and you give and you give, and they take and they take and they take, let me tell you what you do next. You run and you run and you run. Like this is what you got to do. I'm not, you're not going to change them. You're not going, you're not going, you, you're not going, you don't have to because you're not married. And they're not the right one for you. They're not, the stars didn't align. I promise you there's plenty of fish in the sea. But they, but they said something nice to me one time. Okay, that one time. But if it's in an inequitable relationship now, when we're dating, it ain't going to get better when you get married. Because past performance is indicative of future performance. And so that's how we, we need to just have enough wisdom to know how to date well. And that's God's plan in dating. It's going, your hearts are going to get broken Things are getting messed up, but it's better to do the heartbreaking now than to live a life of heartache later. And so, so God wants for us to learn how to do this, but it comes down to this fundamental principle. Last week, Pastor Andrew talked about Luke chapter 15. This week, I want us to go to John chapter 15. Because Jesus... When he established his rule and reign, he didn't say, come and pray to me. He didn't say, come and ask me all of these other types of things. What Jesus said, he said, come and follow me. And we don't have a good image of what it is to be a good lover. We don't have a good image of what it is to be a man. We don't have a cultural image of that, and we've been deprived of it. But there is a way that we can understand this intuitively. Because Jesus gives a command in John chapter 15, verse 12. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That Jesus is saying, if you're going to be a follower, I want you to love other people the way that you've been loved. And we talk about being other-oriented. Jesus gave up his life for the church. In fact, Paul says that. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus' plan for us is that we would decrease so that he could increase. Jesus' plan for us to be better lovers in our marriages, in our relationships, with all the people around us, is that we will have experienced his love, and then in the same way that he demonstrates his love to us, we give that love to others. And my prayer for you this Valentine's Day is you would know what love is. Because 
Jesus is love. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not jealous. He's not arrogant. Jesus is honoring. Jesus is selfless. Jesus is not easily angered. He's not a scorekeeper. Jesus protects. Jesus trusts. Jesus is hopeful. And Jesus perseveres. And what we need in our lives more than anything else is an encounter with Jesus. And my prayer today is that you would experience the love of Jesus. And because you've received his love, now you can give his love. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, I pray it right now that you would come on this Valentine's Day and begin to restore relationships. Hearts that are broken, people that have been trod upon, people that have had great expectations. And because we've been so wide open, we've been hurt so deeply. And that's never been your plan. That's the enemy's plan. We just name it for what it is. And right now, Jesus, I pray that you would begin to heal hearts, heal lives. And not just romantically, in the most important relationships of our lives, our spouses, our children, our family members. But God, that we would also be able to give love in healthy, beautiful ways to people that do not deserve it. I pray that we would encounter you and experience your love and your mercy in ways that are fundamentally transformative. And we don't have to try to love on our own. We love because you first loved us. And I pray now that everyone would experience that love, our lives would be changed by it, and then we would go and change everyone else with that same love. In Jesus' name, amen.